And that jarring cacophony tells you once again, it's the maddest podcast in the world, the one that's doing one a day, every single day until the 60th anniversary. It's the Power of Three podcast. I'm Kenny Smith, and I'm joined by my regular co-conspirator, a fellow Doctor Who book lover, and generally all-round sound bloke. You better introduce yourself, sound bloke. I do my best. Well, hello. Um, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. David Steele here. It's nice to be back on day six, I believe. <laughs> I'm finding it very difficult to keep track. It's quite unusual just how quickly these days are going by. You'd almost think it was like two days ago we were recording episode one, and well, of course it's we know it's been like five days ago. Was it? Was it? Is it three days? What day was it? Saturday? Was it Saturday Sunday. or Sunday? I can't remember. Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Sunday after a, uh, the QM on Saturday for a band called Pegs, 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 Pegs. So you enjoy <laughs> pegging, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I am such a cheeky monkey. Please don't kill me. So they were a, they were a lovely band, and they they were um, sonically they were fascinating. Um, there was a bit of drama during the start of the day. This is all off topic, listeners, but it's it's just gives you an idea of what my days are like. As the drummer was setting up his drum kit, realised they'd left their cymbals behind, so <laughs> they had no cymbals. So we had to get some cymbals hired in. So then and then we had all of the PA stuff to take out and. Just, some to go away and some to store and all the, the barriers and stuff to take down. So it was a late finish on Saturday so if you've heard day one by now you'll have realised what a good job Kenny did of editing to make it sound as if I was awake and coherent. <laughs> <laughs> no, you sounded fine. You sounded fine. We got there in the end which is good. of editing. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's all fun and we thoroughly enjoy what we do. That's the, the whole reason why we do this thing. Because we're Absolutely. mad, sad and dangerous to know, probably. And and as our good pal Shaq Matthews would say, you have to find your joy. You have to find your joy. You do. Nothing wrong with that. So, it's day six and we're talking about a Six Doctor book, isn't that right? We are indeed. And we're going to be chatting about... <laughs> Business Unusual by Gary Russell. I have to say that because Gary is one of my favourite writers for The Sixth Doctor, I gave him a shout just to say, would you be interested in joining us as part of this podcast project? And he said yes. And I let him choose which of his Sixth Doctor novels he wanted to go with. So he picked Business Unusual as being his favourite. So I think it's only fair that let him choose and we'll be hearing from him later on. But in the meantime, Dave, Let's chat about our memories about it. I mean, this was BBC Past Doctor Adventure number four, released back in September 1997. Very, very early on. Um, And this is one that I read at the time. I remember actually, I remember reading it when I was at the Panopticon Convention in 1997, which, um, fact fans, was the first time I met Peter Davison. And I think the second time I met Tom Baker and the first time I met people like Mark Strickson and Sarah Sutton, and it was all very, very exciting. Went to a lot of conventions in 1997 and the great time. That was my my main year for getting all the names in my book. And I got my copy of Business Unusual signed by Gary Russell. I'll hold that up for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. There we go to David. Very best wishes, Gary Russell. Dave, do you have any other books signed by Gary Russell? Yes, I have two other of his books signed. Um, very good, a very good friend of mine <laughs> gave me a copy of Placebo Effect. I've told this in the podcast before. When Kenny was over in the, the States for the Gallifrey Convention, 
he got Gary Russell to sign a copy of Placebo Effect, which he gave me for my birthday. And I didn't realise at first it was signed because I did a reading for from Placebo Effect for an episode of Pieces of Eight. And I thought, oh, good, Kenny's got me a copy of the book that I did the reading from because he knows I don't have it. And then it was like later that day, I kind of picked it up to flick through it and saw that he got it signed, the bugger. That was quite <laughs> funny. And also, I also got signed when we were in when we were in Derby, one of Gary's books signed. Now drawing a complete blank because <laughs> I can't remember which one. Right, give me a second. I, I go into the photos of me on my phone and have a look and see if I can find that out. Yeah. Um, I know which one I got signed. Have... I got my copy of Placebo Effect signed by Gary when we were in Derby. I mean, I tried not to take more than one book by each author unless I could help it. My initial plan had been to take one book by each author because I don't want, I, I felt bad about holding up the, the autograph queue, but of course, quite a few people took everything that some authors had ever worked on, ever. So, and, and didn't get monkeys about holding up the autograph queue for sometimes 20 minutes at a time. But yes, right. So I found I found the photograph that I took, and I got the scales. Of course, I did. I got the scales of injustice. Oh yes, that third Doctor story. Yeah, I remember that one because that was one of those ones that was very good at in the very early stages of you know licensed Doctor Who fiction when we hadn't all got completely sick of sequels and continuity stuff going on. That was a really really good one. It did an awful lot of interesting stuff um, that tied into. I seem to remember that it tied into Who Killed Kennedy a little bit could be wrong on that um, but just did a lot of stuff to, with all the unit early 70s things and very interesting stuff with the sea devils and stuff but we're not talking about that book today no no but we're talking about a book that is effectively a sequel to it though Business Unusual would you like me to read the back cover blurb for the oft-mentioned Business Unusual published September 1997 written by our pal Gary Russell that sounds good tell us what's in the cover as well Dave well it's a nice picture of Colin and he's an early publicity shot and like a lot of the early <laughs> Bass Doctor Adventures was a very early rendered Photoshop psychedelic colourful swirl and what looks like a very angry sort of um ferret or um or badger or something sort of that's been that's been um lens flared to death and sort of you know layered so that it's almost overlapping with Colin on the cover. I've no recollection of what that could be <laughs> which is terrible. Yeah, what, what were they called? What were they called again? People that did these covers. Black Sheep. Black Sheep. Have you managed to track anyone down from Black Sheep yet? Yeah, we had. Infinite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had them on um, the first episode. In fact, it was the last summer in June the 7th. We had them on Pieces of Eighth chatting about their cover design when we did our 25 years of BBC Books and EDAs launching. Right. Okay. I can't, I can't, I'm not sure if I heard that one, or if I did, I can't remember, or if I did, I was busy. I'll have to dig that out as another wee plug for an older episode of Pieces of Eight for your listeners. So yes, the back cover blurb, as threatened, goes like this. A security force with no official identity. A managing director with no name. A sinister creature on guard patrol resembling some kind of hellhound. Maybe that's who's on the cover. Seninet is no ordinary multinational company. The Doctor arrives in Brighton, 1989, travelling alone. He soon discovers his old friend, the Brigadier, has gone missing investigating Seninet, whose new interactive games console is soon to be released at an absurdly reasonable price. He was last seen at their headquarters, based in a picturesque Ashdown Forest. Investigating further, the Doctor becomes more and more entangled in a deadly web of intrigue. Together with Mel, a plucky computer programmer from Pease Pottage, the Doctor must overcome the conspiracy of silence, rescue the Brigadier, and save the world once again. 
something that would be a lot easier if he just knew where to start. Mm. I often find that my experience, I don't, I don't know about yourself, Kenny, most webs of intrigue that I've got involved in have been deadly, so I was glad that Business Unusual, particular web of intrigue, was a deadly one too. Yeah, webs of mayhem and intrigue usually tend to go hand in hand there, particularly if you're Commodore Tonka Travers. But Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I know I, uh, very quickly, very quickly, do you remember a couple of years ago during lockdown when um, Johnny Morris got in touch somehow with a member of the lads who played Commodore Travers and got him to recreate that one of those lines of dialogue? Do you remember that? It was joyous. <laughs> Season sketch, something, something. I can't remember, but it was just like you sat, sat wrapped up in a, in a big coat outside his back garden on a, on a cold day, and you hear his daughter going right now. And there's a pause, and then he says the line. I almost died laughing watching it. God bless Pip and Jane. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd forgotten the brig was in this. To be honest, my main memories of this book. There's a really, really funny scene when the doctor is in a fast food restaurant, and. He addresses, you know, it's. I think the phrase "whiskerless youth." He sort of used this as the, as the child that's serving him, and I could. I remember roaring with laughter when I read it because I could imagine Colin playing that absolutely perfectly. You know, that sort of expression in his face as he tried to rein in his disgust. You know, and I think I remember the scenes where the doctor not exactly trying to avoid Melanie, but when he first sort of encounters her, those being very, very effective because he knows it's you know he's heading towards his future. It's very, very good. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this one. I mean, I like the fact that there was a the bit of continuity with uh, Gary's previous books, and we get the Autoton twins, Kira yeah. and Killian, uh, who first appeared in Skills of Injustice, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, the fact there's like you know like Seminet and you know things like that. It sort of it feels very contemporaneous, you know, for that period in '97 yeah. as we're getting yeah. you know, all these. Things and the fact that the doctor stopped the master and his Assyrian partners. And there's something quite that's sort of picking up in GNT's original character notes from Mel saying the doctor first met her when to help foil a plan with the master to foil the banking system. And more recently, yep. we've had several sort of background stories for Mel, and everything was quite nicely incorporated into one of the recent Big Finish stories in the most recent box set. I see. I remember, I remember when Big Finish did a story called The Wrong Doctors, which also dealt with the uh, Melanie's arrival and that was excellent that was one of the first ones that I listened to when I kind of got back into Big Finish circa sort of 2013 2014 I remember really enjoying that one in those days I, I yet hadn't as I keep saying hadn't got tired of stories that seemed to solely exist as continuity implants I mean you could argue that about Business Unusual but it's one of these things Melanie meeting a doctor had to be done at some point you know what I mean and it's um, I think Gary did an excellent job of it yeah and I think that he writes brilliantly for Colin's Doctor, as you mentioned earlier, like the whiskerless youth. <laughs> Brilliant. And there's also yeah. the whole male thing. Gary's always been a, a fan of Bonnie, you can tell. And <laughs> it, there's just a real delight in sort of giving Mel, you know, this is like the start of her sort of rebirth, you know, from going away from the companion who had such a bad reputation in TV. Unjustifiably so, because Mel, there's nothing to dislike about Mel. She's bubbly, she's fun, and she's enthusiastic. And I think that it's just, you know, this is sort of like sets up things the way that things would go with Big Finish. And continuing that, except the difference was, of course, Bonnie actually got to play her and was given a lot more depth to the character, which she has here in Business Unusual. Absolutely. I mean, I was one of, always one of those people who liked Melanie, never had a problem with her. And it's, and I think, as I've said in the past in the podcast, one of the things I, loved most about the Virgin 
New Adventures and indeed the BBC books was the extra, the new adventures they basically gave the Sixth Doctor. You know, Colin's time was cut short, as we all know, on television, and he was very well served, I think, with some of the, the missing adventures, especially Steve Lyons' books, especially Christopher Bullis. And it's and it was good that he was he was served well again by Gary here. It was what was the what was the Craig Hinton one they did? Was it Millennial Rights? That was yes. fantastic. Yep. Loved that one. You know, Colin was very well served. And I think certainly at this point in the nineties, even though we'd had the, the Virgin books for a few years, there was still that thirst, still that desire for new stories with the Six Doctor who had been cut short on TV. And one of the most obvious ones to do, really, when you think about it, was um was his first meeting with Melanie. I'm glad it was done. It, you yep. know, it absolutely had to be. And meeting the brig, of course, as well. That's okay. Dimensions and time depends what your thoughts are on that. I know what yours are, um, but for some, it was a thing. No, 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 it doesn't count. But here, at least, we get that encounter between the pair of them, which is lovely. And also talking about the brig, in this one, it mentions that the brig has no contact with his daughter Kate. Ah, uh-huh. a little downtime reference there. Yes, absolutely. I'm just looking at Gary Russell's Wikipedia page here with the list of his books, and I hadn't realised that um, Instruments of Darkness tied up story elements from both Scales of Injustice and Business Unusual. So I'll have to double-check the shelf to see if I've got that, and if not, I'll be straight onto eBay once we finish recording. Yep, and it's also got Evelyn Smythe in it. Yes, I've just seen that, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. See, that's another bit, another... That- that was the other thing which we've said many times before, expanding stuff for the Sixth Doctor. One of the best things Big Finish did was, was even smiling, smiling. God bless Maggie. So, shall we go over and hear from the man who wrote the book? I think that's an excellent idea because we've probably wrapped it on far too much. <laughs> Sorry, Gary. It's over to you. My name is Gary Russell, and uh, a great many years ago, I wrote a book called Business Unusual, um, introducing the Sixth Doctor to Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart and Melanie Bush. Do you remember how the commission for this one came about? Did the Beeb come to you? Because obviously this is one of the early commissions from Nula Bifini's time. Um, yeah, I, I knew that they were getting the licence back from Virgin quite early on, probably before Virgin did. So I sort of waved my hand in the air and said, look, I've done some of these books in the past and I've done the TV movie for you, and I don't want to write a Paul McGann book, but I'd like to do a past Doctor book. And she was very keen on that because she didn't really know people to go to for past Doctor books. And so I sat down and said, well, I want to write the, a, a Colin Baker, a sixth Doctor book. And I think she was happy because over a period of a couple of weeks of talking to her about it, it was evident that she'd found people who wanted to do Tom and people who wanted to do Pertwee and people who wanted to do McCoy. And she couldn't find anyone who was as enthusiastic as me about doing a Sixth Doctor book. So boom, that was a fairly instant commission. She didn't need, other than a synopsis, she didn't need the sort of sample chapter that she needed from everyone else because she'd just got a 45, 50,000 word novelization out of me. So she knew that I could vaguely, possibly, string a sentence together. Uh, so I remember I was working at PlayStation Plus magazine and using their fax machine to fax story synopses and things over to Noodler and back and forth these faxes were coming. And of course, uh, it all got approved and, and off I went to write it. And I was, to say, working at PlayStation Plus and the point the PlayStation had just been launched and I know nothing about computer games. So obviously the ideal thing to do is to create a story based around computer game consoles. 
and I think it was a 64-bit, if I remember rightly, which at the time was probably the height of sophistication and now is just utterly laughable. <laughs> I'd imagine that, because one of the first things you wanted to do when you got McGann for Big Finish was to have him meet the brig. So this way you got a chance to have the Sixth Doctor meet the brig and, of yes. course, the introduction of Mel. The Mel thing was, was the main thing for me because I'm obsessed with writing Colin Baker and Melanie Bush, because I think they're both brilliant characters. I don't know that I ever... When I did the synopsis for New Love, the, the, not the breakdown synopsis, but the initial pitch synopsis, I'm not convinced I ever mentioned the Brigadier, because I don't think she didn't know who the Brigadier was. Uh, I'm not sure she knew who Melanie Bush was either, but the story was more about Mel. I think the Brigadier was sort of something I had tucked away in my head. But I thought, I won't clutter it because you'll just think all I'm doing is old things and everything. Of course, the whole book is is all old things because it's a sequel to Scales of Injustice. So all the characters and that come back. It's got Nestines in it. It's got the Brigadier and Mel Bush in it. It's a massive continuity. Gary brings everything together fest with references to other unit stories. There's a soldier in it. Oh, gosh, this has just come back to me. There's a soldier in it who's wounded and hates the Brigadier. Now, is he from one of the Autumn stories? No, he's Claus of Axos, I think. He's injured by an Axon squidgy monster, I think, because his face is mutilated or he's blinded or something like that. So that, you know, all these things, all these typical Gary Russell mid-90s ideas all get thrown in there. Yeah. (laughs) Madness ensues. But it's good fun. And of course, you also picked up on JNT's lines from Doctor Who, The Companions, where there's no introduction for Mel given on screen, but we get more info in his book than we do, than we ever get on the telly. Yeah, the, the computer programmer thing is from the book, isn't it? It's from, yeah. And obviously Mel Bush is never said on television. She's never given the name Melanie Bush. So all of that came from that very brief... Considering, considering he wrote that, Doctor Companions book, what he actually says about Mel is very, very little. But uh, yeah, so I used all of that idea. And and sh- I can't think whether JT has in the book that she's from Peas Pottage or I went for Peas Pottage because that's where those famous photographs are of her with the Peas Pottage road sign. But anyway, she's based in Peas Pottage and I imagined her wearing that dreadful pink and black triangle costume that she wears in that photo call. That is what she's wearing in the book. That's her costume for this story. Yeah. And you also picked up on the line about the Doctor first met Mel when they thwarted the Master and using a computer plot of some sort as well. And that's sort of how sort of things kick off. See, there's the thing about the Master in the book, is there? Gosh, I've forgotten that. Yeah, using the Usurians. Wasn't well, that from the Sunmakers? Yes. What's that got to do with the Master? Gosh, oh, I he, don't remember putting the Master. Is the Master actually in it? No, but uh, it's off screen. But All right, probably because okay. it would cost too much to get Anthony Inley's. Um, description. Um, in but the I book. also wouldn't have wanted to write a book about the master anyway. I've never wanted to write a book about the master. Interesting. I've forgotten that. But yeah, if that was just sort of an off-screen thing. There's a, now you said that though. There's a tie-in, isn't there, to one of Craig's books? Yes. Um, Millennial rights. Yes. There's a throwback to that. Something to do with. Oh, what's the character? Ashley. I'm just having a quick check. Ashley Chapel. That's is the that name it? that rings a bell, yes. That yeah, rings a bell. He, he was one of Craig's things. Oh, my God. Suddenly that's just popped into my head. 
after it's all there years of writing yes Ashley Chapel Logistics that was the company that's that right. turned down and that's Millennial Writing they're the people who yep. are the, in the tower in, in central London in, in Craig's book I think yep. I think that's Ashley Chapel Logistics I can't remember why I put them in there other than probably to keep Craig happy and make all these books linked together so it was a throwback to Virgin to go ha 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 no one at the BBC will get this but everyone will know I'm linking back to the Virgin books because everyone works on the assumption that you know I hated the Virgin books or something and of course I just filled the, all my books with loads of references to old Virgin stories always to make yeah. them all feel like they're one big universe yeah and just uh, of course you tied back as you mentioned earlier to Skills of Injustice and the Autumn mm. Twins yes the, how, what is the definitive pronunciation of their names because Dave and I couldn't agree when we were chatting I've always said Kieran and Kellyan Kira and Kellyan okay that's, that works um, for me. You you have spoken. That is in the pronunciations. How does how does the guy in Peaky Blinders pronounce his name? Uh, Cillian. It's Cillian, is it? All right. Because yeah. that's that's kind of it's not really based on him. It's actually based on an Irish guy who looks like him, who I worked with, who was called Kellyan or Cillian. I'm sure he pronounced it Kellyan, which is where I took the name from. I you know, he's actually based, and his description is this guy I worked with who looks very like the guy from Peaky Blinders. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Dark hair, blue eyes. And then I just gave him a twin, twin sister and they were all sons. Seninet. Yes, there's a great name. A wonderful name. It's, it's just a shame that we never got to hear any more from it, but oh well. I suppose that's the thing when you're working for a computer games company, you are picking up all these things. So it's quite nice to be able to feed that in to what you're working because it does give it that contemporary feel. I think I sat down with Steve Merritt, who was my editor at PlayStation Plus, and I ran things like polymer coaxial cables and things past him and said, is this realistic? Because of course, this is this is before HDMI cables and things existed, which would have been much easier. Um, and I wanted to get polymer in there because that's from business as usual, the comic strip, which is obviously where I stole the title from. So that was quite helpful. 60 bit. What did I call the games console? It wasn't, it was originally going to be a, a, a piss take of PlayStation. And then I think Steve said, you don't want to do that because you don't want to annoy Sony. Yeah. So I think I called it Maximum or Maximus or something like that. Um, that was the name of the console. And then I had all the toys. I'd always been obsessed with this idea that people like McDonald's or Nessie Burgers uh, give away yep. plastic toys to children, which I think is obviously an appalling thing to do for kids, make them buy burgers by giving them plastic toys. So I thought, you know, the best thing I can do is is have these plastic toys effectively be autons and murder children continuing my general theme with my books of if there are children in the book they are going to get brutally murdered and and in business unusual i murder lots of children which is always satisfying um because no one ever expects it they think oh you can't hurt cute sweet innocent children playing with their nessie toys yeah i can murder them all <laughs> god what else happened in that book this is all coming back to me this is this is this is weird there's Townsend with the cybernetic parts Town, as yeah, well. So the, thin, the, the pale-faced thin man with the scar, which is Martin Townsend, who appeared in uh, Round the Vault in Scales of Injustice, and he goes through to Instruments of Darkness, as do the Irish Alton twins as well, I think. Mm-hmm. There's a scientist in it named after my friend Rhonda Crafton. Um, I can't remember what name I give her in the book. Professor Crafton. 
I think. Uh, she's the villain, or one of the many villains. There's the dog, which is on the cover. Oh, that awful cover. Oh, God. <laughs> I said to them, what do you want on the cover? I want Colin Baker, because they were doing everything was circular and swirly based in those days. So I said, I wanted Colin Baker. And I think originally I said, no, I want Melanie Bush. And they were like, no, no, no. It's got to be just the doctor and one single image. So I went for the dog, which actually isn't that big a role in the story anyway. But I said, it's a Doberman with green eyes and it's probably got saliva and drool. And they kind of put this fox terrier thing on the front cover with with fish eyes on it. And it's awful. It's a terrible cover, absolutely terrible cover. And not a particularly interesting picture of Colin either. It's like well, all those ones from the title sequence, all those brilliant photographs of Colin from the title sequence, and they picked the worst one where he's kind of got a bit of a half-glazed look in his eye. And I thought, oh, black sheep, why, why? <laughs> so, yeah, it's a terrible cover. Terrible, terrible cover. I think, do you know, think about it, when I saw the cover, I realised the dog had to have a bigger role. He's called Stalker. Yep. And I know that because he makes an appearance in my new Inferno comic. Oh. As does his owner, Mr. Lawson. As does the thin, pale-faced man, Martin Townsend. It's almost like I'm picking all my own stuff and saying I can use this because it's all copyright-free because I own the copyrights on them. Um, so, yes, I remember that he was called Stalker. Um, but, yeah, he's meant to be this massive big Doberman out of the omen kind of thing. <laughs> they put this stupid little terrier thing on the front cover it's like oh god so frustrating the policeman from scales of injustice he comes back you know, yes like, he is indeed bob lines he's he features in lots of stuff he may also feature in the inferno comic at some point and he's currently scheduled to make an appearance further down the line i like it tell us about writing for the dr mel because of course this was before you'd got colin and bonnie back for big finish so how did you find this is the reason why I wanted Colin and Bonnie back for Big Finish because I knew that they were such a I, I loved them on television Terror of the Verboids just superb great story and the chemistry between the two of them after years and years and years of I thought really bad writing and script editing of The Doctor and Perry and you just kept thinking oh why do these people travel together they hate each other so so much and they kind of watered it down a bit thankfully for mysterious planet and then mind what happened and just turned it all on its head and i thought you never got a chance to see colin being nice to a companion then verboids comes along and you go oh he and mel's relationship is friendship it's not based on mutual criticism mutual belittling and i thought it was really nice and and that carries through into ultimate foe as well and so I love that pairing. I always thought, but I always think Bonnie is a very underrated actress anyway. So I knew that you, she could do things that she was never given the chance to do in Doctor Who. So this was my chance to make her a slightly more rounded, slightly more gutsy character than she was on telly, really. And get her to work with, with Colin in a way that I think when she was with Sylvester on TV, she got a bit more gutsy. And I thought this was an opportunity to put those two together and have, have Colin and Mel at their absolute best and then throw the spanner in the world saying, but it's the first time they meet. So the doctor knows who she is. The doctor knows uh, what she's like. The doctor knows her character really well. And he has to spend the entire book not letting on that he knows her already and and you know <laughs> kind of 
of saying things like, come on, Mel, you've got a memory like an elephant. And, and how would you know that, Doctor? And all of this sort of stuff. And so that was a, a lot of fun to play with, the, the Doctor anticipating and spending a lot of the book trying to avoid Mel because he knew that if he w met Mel now, this was the start of everything that would lead to the trial. So he kind of spends half the book avoiding her uh, and then realises, of course, fate being what fate is, he can't avoid her. And, uh, and then she sneaks into the TARDIS at the end, boom, off they go on their exciting adventures. Um, and it was just fun. They're a fun couple of people to write for. And I've written for... Colin and Bonnie in quite a few books now and I just think they're good fun like I really do yeah and I think it's wonderful that Bonnie's had such a just a, almost like a second wind you know since EastEnders and even just last week as we as we chat she was on House of Games and she's just wonderfully warm sweet and funny and just amazing amazing lady uh, all the time in the world for her and and just such a good actress, uh, as I discovered more than anything when working with her at Big Finish, and realised that she she's a bit like David Tennant, in as much as there's nothing you can't give her that she can't do. Yeah, there's nothing where you sit and go, oh, that's that's stretched beyond the point of what she's comfortable with. She's never like that. She'll do anything and, and can do anything. Um, it's very underrated, and I think you know people will see that when she's with Shooty and realise that you know. Everyone misjudged Melanie Bush in 1987 because they had this image of the Just William thing and the singing and dancing thing and assumed that's all she could do. And I think the unfortunate thing is that was also the assumption by Eric Sayward and, and Andrew Carmel as well. Uh, I think they're both heinously responsible for not giving her enough to do because I think they assumed that JNT had cast her for light entertainment reasons, maybe he did, but the bottom line is nobody ever tried. I think they worked on the assumption, Bonnie won't be able to do that, so we won't bother. And with the book, with Business Unusual, I went on the assumption of Bonnie would be able to do this, so we can make Mel do this in the book, because it would work. Yeah. Now, something that there's a lot of in this book, references to real people's names. Now, I think you said that your boss at PlayStation was, was it Steve Garrett? No, Steve Merritt. Steve Merritt. Okay, can I just say that the the, the, the headquarters for Cininet was Garrett Manor. And uh, yeah, there's there's obviously there's Trey Corte and various other names throughout. That's there's there, a Sean Lyon. The in there. Sean, he gets killed, doesn't he, Sean Lyon? Mm -hmm. uh, Bob Lyons is a real person. Rob Lyons is a friend of mine. As I said, Kelly is based on somebody I used to work with, an Irish guy I used to work with. Yeah, the best place to get names from is real people because then you know they're real names. You know, they're names that can actually work. Yeah, and back then it was, a, it was an easy way of doing it and because the internet and social media wasn't quite as wide as it is now, most people reading that book wouldn't have known who Trey and Sean and, and people like that actually were. Yeah. I also think that when you're doing your new work if you ever read a newsreader's name i can think of one that would sound quite good so if you know like three syllables something a nice short sharp beat to it. i think kenny smith sounds like a really good newsreader name nah oh damn it nah nah oh well because nah. no grown-up would call themselves kenny they'd be kenneth newsreaders are kenneth kenneth kendall kenny kendall nah no kenneth no. smith sounds austere and important and, and educated. Kenny Smith sounds a bit like an 18-year-old working in a chip shop. No, you can have a newsreader called Kenny Smith. That's oh, no my. one would believe that name at all. No. Go back to the chip shop now. 
<laughs> and uh, would you like some fries with that? <laughs> and everyone who listened to this who is called Kenny is now going to hate me. Not at all. It's only Kenny, Kenny Smith that you hate. <laughs> yeah. I knew a Kenny once, and it wasn't short for Kenneth. It was short for Kenelm. Wow. K-E-N-E-L-M for mother. Brilliant name. Yeah. I've never used that. Kenelm. I should use that. I'd forgotten write that, that down. Before. Write that down now, so when it reappears somewhere, Kenelm's then you know where it's name. come from. Yeah. Yes. But, I mean, again, just um, going back to the, the links, I think you mentioned carrying things over from Virgin into BBC. I always really enjoyed that, the fact that it is the joined-up universe, despite what some people try to make it. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think all the writers tried to do it, uh, particularly ones who had worked for Virgin. I think there was a lot of people going, oh, this will never happen. You can't, you know, the BBC will never allow you to link into the Virgin universe. And you're like, the BBC never stopped anyone linking into the Virgin universe. And when you consider, you know, that that Steve and Jack and, and Justin were the main editors of that range, of course they were going to have people doing throwbacks to the Virgin books. It, there was this sort of perception in the wide world that, that the BBC and Virgin Books would be utterly separate, and they just never were. But there are still people that insist that they were. But there's thousands of references to Virgin stuff in the BBC books, always. And exactly. in Big Finish as well. Of course. They all ties together nicely. That's the way we like it. Uh -huh. I wouldn't say it ties together nicely, but it offers, it offers the opportunities for uh, people to try and link it if they want to. Yeah, and the time wars made things wibbly wobbly around the edges, so it all fits. Absolutely, that's the perfect way. So, if we were to turn back the clock to the late eighties, looking back on this book now, what would Russell's Rotometer score this in terms of Tardis's? I can't answer that. Um, why the late eighties? Because that was when they had DWM. That's when you had the Tardises and DWM in your in your reviews. Russell's Rotometer. There was nothing to do with me. <laughs> Nothing. To do with me. I never did it, and I never, ever, not once, did I ever write a review where I put them in, which used to annoy John Freeman a lot because he'd say, "Come on, come on, how many TARDIS has this got?" I go, "I'm not doing it. You, you, you think this is a good idea? You put the TARDIS in. Read my review and put the TARDIS in." I never told them how many TARDIS there were because Russell's radar was a terrible, terrible, terrible awful thing so how many Russell's Ray Thomas or Tardis's for Bidders and Yours get? Zero because the whole idea is terrible um, <laughs> I will say that it's probably probably my second favourite novel that I've written it's a toss up between that and Scales of Injustice so which is my second favourite <laughs> and I think it probably changes depending which one I'm talking about <laughs> They're kind of on a par for me. I'm very, very pleased with the, these first two chapters of that trilogy. And I'm a lot less pleased with the final chapter of that trilogy, which is a shame. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Business Unusual is a book that someone says to me every so often, you know, oh, if I was to read one of your terrible books, which one should I read? <laughs> and if I say Beautiful Chaos and they go, well, I've already read that then I tend to push them in the direction of business unusual because it's fun. I had a lot of fun writing it and it's one of the few books I wrote where people actually quite liked it in reviews, I think. Even DWM, I think, was relatively unscathing about it. I mean, it was scathing because everything I wrote was scathed, 
That's not a word, is it? Uh, I know, I'm a writer. I've just invented the word scathed. Right um, to go. But I'm reasonably confident that whoever was doing the DWM reviews at the time, which wasn't Matt Michael, um, it was before Matt, and it wasn't Craig. So who was in between? It was Dave Owen, wasn't it? Dave, Dave yes. Owen. Yeah. So he was probably quite negative about it because DWM always were. But generally, fanzines liked it, and I got lots of nice comments from people about it. And I really like it. I'm really quite proud of this. It's unusual. Well, I think um, you should it's be. Got it's got a solid fun. story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It doesn't go off on too many tangents. And it does what I wanted to do, which is kind of a battlefield-era unit story with a bit of Colin and, and Bonnie, and, and, and that's still a little bit of that flavour of, of the poet we running through it as well because it's modern day setting and nothing out of spacey and it's autons. Yay! That's what I call a win. Gary, it's been a real pleasure as ever. So thank you. Thank you. And big thanks to Gary for his time there and chatting about this one. So I think he's justifiably proud of this one because it is, see, it's a great story for the sixth doctor. It's a great story for Mel. And most importantly, it's just a damn good Doctor Who story. It's one that I remember, you know, like like I've said before, you know, I read these books a long time ago, nearly 20, God, it's 26 years ago as we record this, that I was mm. reading it. Um, and a lot of the details you, you, you forget, but it's one that I do remember enjoying very much. And it's, you know, I was one of these people that appreciated the fact that Gary was continuing to use elements that had been used in the Virgin books because there was that doubt early on how much of the continuity were they going to maintain, how much were they going to bend. So it was, um, it was good that he kept that going. Yep. I did too. I mean, I love the fact that you're sending it there and um, it would be funny if that ever showed up again one day, wouldn't it? But who knows? <laughs> Hidden away on a server somewhere. But Dave, Dave, before we move on, what does I Who, the Bible of unauthorised Doctor Who novels, have to say about this one in its summary? Well, listeners, if you're reading along with your copy of I Who at home, if you turn to page 138, column one... At the end of the day, a pleasant change from the Six Doctors' often venomous adventures giving us a colourful time lord full of energy and silliness. The whole package bravely gives us fun reading, but, uh-oh, it's continuity heavy and too many villains have shallow motives. Open brackets, Townsend is bored, wants power, or turn repentant. Open brackets, Erskine, Ciara, C- or Salian, I'm guessing that, I can't remember how that's pronounced, for it to be truly dramatic. So... Been a little bit on the fence with that, but we both liked it. So, yeah. that way. well, listeners, what did you think of Business Unusual? Exactly. You could tell us, uh, tell us on our Twitter page. You can find us and put it under the link to this episode, or you could jump on our Facebook page and tell us your thoughts as well. And yeah, I think we're right, Dave. I think I who is wrong in this case. So, there we go. But no, for me, great novel, good fun. And it's one that I know that I could easily turn around to pick off the shelf and think yep that's good fun I'll enjoy reading that one for the next three four hours absolutely and it's um it's one that I probably would think about revisiting it in the moment I'm trying to kind of as I may probably have said already or I may not have said already or you probably heard me say it about a million times already I've committed to rereading some of the Virgin BBC books and reading some of the ones I haven't read at the moment so it's one that I'll probably think about giving another another perusal of because as I say I do remember enjoying it and you know the, never mind what I who says he got the important stuff right you know Colin's characterization was really good I remember there's a bit near the start where he talks about the doctor sort of thinking to himself and he's had his hair cut in slightly so it's not as mental and bushy and he also is thinking about getting rid of the coat so there's some nice sort of you know 
proper solid character stuff for a, an incarnation that just wasn't given his due on television and, and you know you can never have too much sex doctor as far as I'm concerned well said Dave well said cheers cheers mate mate <laughs> yeah the smashing meat um, <laughs> this is one that I'll be picking off the shelf it's uh, my top of the pot picks anyway I think we should wrap up now given that we've been rabbiting on for so long this week or not even this week yes we have Blah, 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 blah. Go Shift F7. Yes. So, <laughs> yes. Kenny, what are we going to play out today? I think it'll be a lot of fun to play, given the um, business unusual the title. I think it'll be quite funny to play it with opportunities by the Pet Shop Boys. Do you know but what, you Dave? Think well, I was thinking Pet Shop Boys, but I think you've trumped me. I think that's a good one. I was thinking of one of the more recent tracks, which is called Monkey Business, given that it's got right. the word uh, business in there. But I think opportunities, I think, is a great shout. So over to Neil and Chris, and tell you what... Just to be slightly different, we're going to play the original single version, which bombed in the charts, and then, of course, did far better when it was re-released. So we're going to go with the original version of Opportunities. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll be back tomorrow with us. Guess which Doctor we're going to feature tomorrow, Dave? Oh, um, it's going to be that blooming Sylvester McCoy, isn't it? It certainly is. So we'll be back tomorrow. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Take care. I've had enough of scheming and messing around with jerks My car is parked outside, I'm afraid it doesn't work I'm looking for a partner, someone who gets things fixed Ask yourself this question, do you want to be rich? I've got the brains, you've got the looks Let's make lots of money I studied at the Sorbonne Doctored in mathematics, I could have been a dawn I can program a computer, choose the perfect time If you've got the inclination, I've got the crime